Amen. Please be seated. And please take out your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 18. I have the passage for you on the insert as well. We'll look at the first half of Genesis 18. Some 25 years have elapsed since God called Abraham and Sarah from the Ur of the Chaldeans to the promised land. Much has happened. We've been studying this together for some months now. We have seen the ups and the downs of the faith of Abraham and Sarah. Their names now changed to be reminded of the promises of God, the covenant promises of God towards them and their children. Most immediately, Abraham was told that they would have a child of their own born of Sarah. Of course, he laughed when he heard that. And God was gracious and patient with him in his unbelief and his doubts. Now we come to Sarah. There's focus now on Sarah and her reception of that promise from God. God appears yet again to Abraham and Sarah, this time with two other messengers in the form of a person. We see this as mysterious as it is, very explicit in the passage. There is something wonderfully personal about God's comfort of Sarah in her doubts, in her time of wondering. Something wonderfully personal about his care for her, something that every believer, every one of us should find as an encouragement. This is how God cares for us so personally and carefully. Here now as I read God's holy word, this is Genesis 18, 1 through 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat on the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to, to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Father, your word is such an encouragement to us. Through the reading and preaching of your word, our faith, our doubts, they're dispelled, and our faith is built up. 
As we study this passage where Sarah's faith is bolstered, please give us understanding and wisdom. And surely, O oh Lord, in our midst there are situations that will be benefited by what we read and consider this morning. O oh Lord, may you receive all the praise for any growth in grace, knowledge, and holiness that happens from this time in your presence this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So far, the focus has been mostly on Abraham, if we're honest. Yet, Sarah, you could argue, had the most pain to bear in this story. The difficulty she endured, some by the choices of her own husband. And here she is now at age 90, no doubt having given up on the idea that she would have a son of her own, despite the fact that God very explicitly made that promise. Now, she trusted God in the whole. We know she's a godly woman. We read this in Scripture. She's a believer, but she just could not accept the reality of what was being spoken by God, that she could somehow have a child and that a nation could come from her. She came to realize through this episode that she could trust God for everything, the smallest things and the biggest things. And we could trust God with the smallest things and the biggest things. And he describes why we can trust by what he does in this story. We are reminded that our lives are in our Father's hands, and they are capable and caring hands indeed. You see the faith of his children? It's very important to our Father. He cares about your faith. He cares about your trust in him. It's important. You can almost imagine Jesus saying to Sarah, with all this duress she had been under, look at the birds of the air, Sarah, They neither sow nor reap. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Sarah, are you not of more value than they? You see, it's been said by many a scholar, pastor, and theologian, and it's true. Faith is the primary grace of the Christian experience. Your trust in God is the base level gift from God of our Christian experience and identity. So if it's that important, God is very concerned to strengthen the faith of his children, and that's what he does for Sarah in particular here, very personally here, and by extension Abraham, and by extension still to all of us when we consider this pattern that God follows with the children he loves. His patience and his grace show again. How does he strengthen Sarah's faith in this moment of her doubting? Well, he visits her personally. He's very careful to meet with her personally. He knows her situation, and he goes to her. And he does so with some profound revelation about who he is and why he can trust her, why her faith could be built. He states by, his, by what he does, and even by the words he speaks, that he is the omniscient one, the all-knowing one. He knows things Sarah couldn't possibly know or understand. He's the omniscient God, and that gives her strength to her weak faith. And then he also promises something that only an all-powerful God could do, because he's the omnipotent God as well. He personally meets her, and then speaks of and demonstrates his omniscience and his omnipotence. And this is not a rare pattern for God and his people. We see this repeatedly, and it should bring us great encouragement as well. Now, it's true. The comfort he gives here does not take immediately. You'll look at it and you'll say, boy, she's doubting. She's even murmuring behind, 
But as you look at this passage from the angle of the New Testament's description or summary of Sarah, we come to know that she was a woman of strong faith. And why so? Because God strengthened her faith with this exact episode that we have before us. I want you to look at the passage with me and see the personal care that God shows for his children, in particular, what he does in the life of Sarah. You know, what was the custom of the time to work during the day and as soon as it got super hot to go back to your tent and stay in your tent and rest and refresh. And here is Abraham in such a break. Verse 1, and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. So the Lord himself is going to show himself once again to Abraham. He's with two other men, as it turns out, by the oaks of Mamre. So there's some trees. Mamre, that would be that ally of Abraham who helped him fend off the northern kings when Lot was taken captive. The Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. When he was resting as the Lord in chief of his village, if you will, he would sit at the entrance, and if people would go by, part of ancient Near Eastern hospitality would be to help those who would be in travel. And so, and he's also on guard. He's looking to see who's coming by. It says in verse 2, he lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. It doesn't say he saw them coming from afar. They're just standing in front of him. So there's something special about this entrance. It doesn't say specifically when Abraham knows this is not just a, a normal group of travelers. Something very special about them. And here he is with this personal visitation to Abraham in his house. The Lord appeared to him. Very personal. Verse 2, the second part. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. You could tell he knows this is a divine visit of sorts. Uh, one scholar notes this about the appearance of God in a personage. Kyle and Dalich say that the three strangers, therefore, whom Abraham entertains are none other than Jehovah himself and two attending angels. The second person of the Trinity might well be, who bears the double character of God or the Lord the messenger of the covenant, otherwise known, the angel of the Lord's army, sometimes called, and here condescending on this occasion to be Abraham and Sarah's personal guest. Back to the text, verse 3. He said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. He wants to show this hospitality. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread, notice what he says, a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. They accept his invitation. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it, make cakes. That's seven quarts is one sea. That's a lot of cakes. I got to think, that Abraham was Italian. That laugh is far too quick. Hear me out on this. When I was in college, I would come home and visit my Aunt Mary during breaks from college. I would purposely go at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon so she didn't feel the need to feed me. Italians don't take to that kind of notion often that you don't need to eat or need to feed somebody. She'd say, you must be hungry. I'd say, no, I'm Mary, I'm fine. My parents, you know, they obviously feed me really well. 
She wouldn't hear of it. She'd sit me down at the kitchen table, and she'd start unloading stuff out of the refrigerator. She'd bring out the capicola. She'd bring out the salami, the cheeses, the provolone, the mozzarella. None of this is an exaggeration. This is true. She'd get out a stick of pepperoni, put a little knife with it, put it on the table while she's getting other stuff. She'd get bread out, some marinara sauce to dip it in. She'd get a mixture of whatever pastas were left over, put that out, some mastacholi, some rigatoni, some ravioli, whatever she had. There'd be salads of all kinds of olives. There would be salads of cucumbers and onions. Now, if you think I'm joking, I didn't get like this eating bone broth soup and kale salad. That is for sure. And so here I am at 2.30 in the afternoon, and I've got a spread in front of me that could feed five people. This is why you can imagine Abraham had some of this Italian hospitality in the ancient Near East. East. In verse 5, I'll bring you a morsel of bread, he says to God and the two messengers. And Abraham then went quickly, look at verse 6, into the tent to Sarah, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Then Abraham ran to the herd, and took a calf, tender and good, that pick, picks one out, has it slaughtered by the young man who prepares it, who prepares it quickly. Then he took curds and milk in the calf that he had prepared, and he set it before them. So it's going to take some time, but all that he brings now. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They personally visited Abraham, and he shows this hospitality towards them. The personal nature of the visit impresses Abraham, and of course, It impresses Sarah, too, as she rushes to help. And as they're eating, they say something very interesting that shows the personal care he has, they have, and really the reason they're visiting. Now, it's true, the bigger story, there was a mission the angels were on. The wrath of God had been building for the cities on the plain. But there's a specific reason for stopping, and it's to encourage Sarah. Abraham had received his encouragement. Now, Sarah is in need of this as well, for what God has called her to. And they say something that only God could know. Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she's in the tent. Then stopped to ask, how do you know my wife's name is Sarah? And how do you? They reveal that they're here for a personal reason. They want to address something concerning Sarah. Because at this point, poor Sarah had more or less been an afterthought. For the past 13 years especially, she had to watch Hagar and Ishmael take her husband's attention, knowing it was at her suggestion that that even unfolded. Now, near 90 years old, no children of her own. The covenant that was promised to Abraham from their time in the Ur of the Chaldeans was meant to include Sarah. But at 90, she had to feel left out of this. God and these angelic visitors were there to personally encourage her. Faith is the primary grace of the Christian experience. Therefore, God is very concerned to strengthen the faith of his children, in this case, his child, Sarah. And how does he encourage? Well, by the revelation of two very important attributes that only he has. Look at verse 9, and we see this attribute on display. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife, demonstrating this omniscience, this all-knowingness? He said, she is in the tent. Now, more knowledge that only God could give. And the Lord said, verse, verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. I know that that son that has been promised will have been born by the time I come back. 
This is a personal and purposeful visit to address Sarah in the doubts she had, the struggle she was having. She was nearby and present, and the Lord knew it. It says in verse 10, the second part of verse 10, Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. No doubt intrigued, who are these people? What are they saying? And listen to what they're saying. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. And of course, Sarah can't help but to do just what Abraham did. She has to laugh to herself, verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She sees that this prediction is so ridiculous on a natural level, just the way Abraham thought when God told him the same thing. Why would they make such a far-fetched prediction? It's cruel, actually. How did they know? They know because the Lord here displays his omniscience, which will start to be clear as true about him to Sarah as this unfolds. Again, gracious and patience is God with his children when they struggle, just like Sarah does. Because everything God does has an intelligent purpose, a definite goal. This is the omniscient God. God knows everything, everything in himself, everything in creation, and throughout history. Scripture often refers to this as the universality of God's knowledge. He knows detailed happenings on the earth, all of them, even the future. And here he brings his comforting presence, the omniscient one, to condescend and break bread with Abraham and Sarah. God's omniscience is based on his authority as the true and living God, God Almighty as he has already described himself to Abraham in an earlier episode. He's the supreme judge of all things, and he's the ultimate standard of what is true and what is false, and he stands caring personally for you, for Sarah. Truth is what he is, so it is inconceivable that he could be wrong about anything. Not only does God know what is true, he is the very nature of truth. In God's knowledge, it is a precious thing to the people whom he loves. God's knowledge of us pursues us wherever we may go, whether we go to heaven, whether we go to the grave, whether we go to the great distances that we think we're out of his reach, in the farthest places of the universe, dark places, God's knowledge of us pursues us wherever we go. He knew us when he was forming us in our mother's wombs, and he knows us even now, this moment, this second, and the seconds that unfold after. This is what comforted the psalmist when David writes, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And this is what he's displaying to Sarah so she starts to be strengthened in her faith about whatever God promises. The Apostle John said, for whenever our hearts condemn us, when we may doubt, God is greater than our heart. He's greater than your feelings and your anxieties and your doubts. God is greater than our heart, John wrote, and he knows everything. The author of Hebrews says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He's starting to reveal himself to Sarah, something in particular, his omniscience, which will be the thing that convinces her that God's promise will in fact happen. Not only is his omniscience comforting, but his omnipotence 
that he declares and shows is as well. Look at verse 12 as we see the response that Sarah has. We can all understand this. Some commentators give her a harder time than Abraham. I don't understand this because she says nothing different than Abraham. And God is gracious with her just in a different way. He meets her where she is. So Sarah laughed to herself, verse 12, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So she's doubting that, that God could have the power to do this thing that she promised. I mean, I, there's no way this can happen. So there's, she's wondering. And God wants to let her know, no, this is possible for me. I'm God. The Lord says to Abraham in verse 13, and Sarah's listening to all of this, and of course God knows that Sarah hears all of this. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Of course, Abraham will remember laughing himself. And this is the key verse of the whole of the passage. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord, Jehovah, unmistakably, God speaking here and saying to her doubts, not only do I know what your doubts are, not only do I know what I'm going to do and what the situation will look like a year from now, nothing is too hard for the Lord, especially giving you a baby at age 90. That is nothing for the Lord. Omnipotence, this is what he is assuring her with. This means that God is in control of himself and his creation. Scripture affirms that God's omnipotence is the display of him doing whatever he wants to do it. Whatever he's pleased to do, he can do. Nothing is too hard for him. His word is never devoid of power. When he speaks, everything in creation obeys him. His word always prevails, and we can trust that his prophecies will always come to pass, even when he's telling Sarah, you will have a child by this time next year. Is anything too hard for the Lord? He has complete and total control over everything. And this includes the smallest details of the natural world, like the falling of a sparrow or the number of hairs that you have on your head. Look at verse 14. Again, the second part, he reemphasizes, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, what is said next is not a scolding of Sarah. It's the same way he treated Abraham with grace and patience. She's clearly doubting. He's there to build up her faith, not to judge her, not to cast her out, not to forget his covenant love to his child Sarah. It's not why he's there, but she's being honest. She laughs. And then God says to Abraham, and she's there on the other side of the tent door still, why did, Abra- why did Sarah laugh? And then Sarah, verse 15, but Sarah denied it. She must be denying herself, I-, I didn't laugh. Of course, that's what we do when we're caught. She was afraid, it says in verse 15. But notice here, God does not scold her. He just simply says, no, you did laugh. Only Sarah knew that she laughed except for God knew. This is God. He does care for me. This is the omniscient God. Who is, he knows all that, and he's all powerful to do whatever he speaks. Do you see how this is starting to work to build the faith of wavering Sarah? Because faith is the primary grace of the Christian experience. So God is very concerned to strengthen the faith of his children, not to weaken their faith, And he strengthens the faith of Sarah by a statement first of his omniscience and then of his omnipotence as well. In this verse 15 where God catches Sarah laughing, even that episode is a gracious action towards Sarah. If Sarah really doubted, 
this was God and that God cared personally and knew all things. It was all powerful. His knowledge of her secret thoughts proved that he was who he said he was. You know, it's interesting. In reading the story, you see some weakness here with Sarah. We could all understand it. But when you read of Sarah in 1 Peter chapter 3, it speaks of her as a model to all Christian women. And in Hebrews chapter 11, listen to how the writer of Hebrews summarizes the life of Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You see how the author of Hebrews captures Sarah? She believed. She was faithful. She believed in the promises of God. But wait, did, you saw she, she laughed here. That's because this is the episode where God visited her, spoke his word of omniscience to her, assured her of his omnipotence. And she was built up in her faith so that from this point forward, she recognizes God's going to do what he's going to do in her life, just as he said. And then the summary of her life is that the writer of Hebrews says, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised, what? To conceive a child and give birth to Isaac. Faith is the primary grace of the Christian experience. So God is concerned to strengthen your faith, to strengthen our faith. And he does so by meeting you personally by the power of his word and spirit. The promises that come from his word come come accompanied with the truth of his attributes, that this is the omniscient one who speaks to us from his word. The spirit convinces us that it's true. We know it's true. He gives us these means of his grace to build up our faith, that we know it's true what he says, and he's all-powerful to do it. We know what he's done. He promised and he did. And the biggest of things, certainly he can do this with the smallest as well. You know, this is not at all a scarce occurrence in the lives of the people of God. Do you know Job, who lived at the same time as Abraham probably, 2,000 2000 years before Christ? Job, if you remember his story, by God's providence and plan, had to undergo great suffering. And it was meant to accent the glory of God, especially in the face of Satan. Now it's true, and we know that the whole of Job's life the Redeemer who he'd see with his own face, his own eyes, in the flesh. He would live in eternity, and he'd, he'd more than have the blessings that, that he didn't experience under his trials, more than, those, more than made up for. But while he's at his worst moment in the book of Job, chapter 42, what does he allude to? The personal touch of God, his omniscience, and his omnipotence. He says, Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge, Job said? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. The comfort that comes to Job, because he recognizes that God is God, and he is not. He's omniscient and omnipotent, and he cares for him personally. The prophet Jeremiah had one of the most depressing ministries any minister prophet has ever had. He watched Israel continue to turn their back on their covenant God. He's begging God to stay his hand of discipline against the Israelites, but it's clear that the Israelites will have to suffer discipline, and he's preparing Jeremiah to handle this. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. How is he going to comfort? He comes personally with his word to Jeremiah. And he says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me, Jeremiah? Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am giving this city into the hands of the Chaldeans. 
Mary, the mother of Jesus. Remember when she was told that she would bear Christ, that she would be the one who would actually deliver the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent? She's overwhelmed with this. And Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And then the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. You remember Martha lost her beloved brother Lazarus. They were friends of Christ. Jesus was not there when Lazarus died, and his funeral was a few days later. Martha, showing the strength of her faith that had been bolstered by God, when Jesus finally arrives to the funeral a few days after her brother had died, listen to what she says as a bit of a confession or profession of faith. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She believed fully that Jesus had the power to stop him from dying. But this is what she says next that shows she grasps these truths about God. But even now, Jesus, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus spoke to his disciples many times about the power of God. But one of the things that confused the disciples the most was this message of the gospel that would go forward to people who were rich, the people of earth. It seemed like the rich young ruler, for example, could not get his eyes off his stuff and his security therein, and had a hard time thinking of the afterlife, thinking what happens after this physical life. And it was a frustration to preach the gospel to people who would not hear it because they were so in love with the here and the now. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who can be saved then? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What does this mean for you and I? Well, this is what it means. Is there any promise of God too hard for Him to keep? Is there any prayer that you could pray that's too hard for him to answer. Now, I'm not saying he'll answer just the way we think it ought to be answered, but do you think he ignores you? Do you think he doesn't hear what you're praying? Is there anything too hard for him to help you with? Is there any problem in your life too big for God to solve? Is there any person too lost for God to save? Just as the Lord said to Abraham, meant for Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Father, indeed, you care to build our faith, and you have given us ways for that to happen. And all of these ways depend on your personal care for us. We are strengthened in faith by knowledge of your omniscience and your omnipotence. Oh Lord, we confess that no promise of yours is too hard for you to fulfill. No prayer is too hard for you to answer and provide for us what we need. No problem is too big for you to solve, and no person is too hard for you to save. We believe, Heavenly Father, help our unbelief for the sake of Jesus and His glory. 
Amen. Let's respond together by turning in our hymnal to hymn number 128. Let's stand together. We'll sing the first